This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of Pod's Own Country in 2022. My name is Caitlin Doherty and I am the Westminster correspondent at the Yorkshire Post. It's been a relatively busy Christmas break in terms of politics, of course, with Omicron cases rising across the country, questions about whether further restrictions would be introduced rumbled throughout the break. Although in the end, as we all know, no more rules were given and people were allowed to celebrate their Christmases and New Year's relatively uninterrupted. That is, of course, if they weren't one of the hundreds of thousands of people over that period who tested positive and were forced to isolate. However, away from COVID, I have got a very lovely chat for our first episode back of the new year. I have spoken to Ed Balls, former Shadow Chancellor and Yorkshire MP, about what his life has been like post-politics. Mr Balls was um, the MP for Morley and Outward for around a decade before he was ousted by a Conservative opponent in one of the elections that some people would consider the first blue brick forming in the Red Wall, which we have gone on to hear so much about over the last couple of years. Of course, Ed Balls has taken on a number of TV projects and book projects and other types of jobs since his time as an MP and has um, changed into quite a familiar face on our TV screens and um, bookshelves. So it was really interesting to see what he had to say about life post-politics and how things have changed. I hope that you enjoy this week's episode and as always I will be speaking to you very soon. You were the um MP for Normanton for um, a very, very long time. It later became um, Morley and Outward during during your time, yep. time there. I suppose a big question to start with, what are your favourite memories or perhaps strongest memories is perhaps the better better question to ask of, um, of your time in that job? I mean, being an MP is a massive role. Gosh, I think the... Um... <laughs> The part of being a member of parliament that most people never see mm-hmm. are the behind the scenes individual cases that you get involved in. And it's a little bit like um, being a, a a GP or a social worker that um, if you are a teacher in school and you have really good exam results, you can put a press release out saying our school's done well and firefighters can celebrate, you know, lives saved, fires reduced. But I think you know the, 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 one of the very hard things about um, social work 
um, is that the great things done by social workers are never seen because, you know, child um, kind of liberated from abuse is not really something that you publicise or child able to stay with, with family because you've solved the problems. And so in the case of social work, it tends to be the case that the only publicity any ever happens when things go wrong, as mm. we've been seeing terribly in the last few days. And um, with members of parliament, there's lots of things you do which get publicity and you can issue press releases in about you know, the town centre regeneration or your speech in parliament. But the, the small things which happen behind the scenes where you can sort out a problem for constituents, especially um, uh, in distressing circumstances, those are the, are the moments you really remember. There was one um, late on in my time in... I was the MP for Morley and Outwood, but uh, uh, I had a letter from a, a father um, living in Wakefield in Outwood um, about his um, um, him and his wife, and they'd lost their daughter, um, who had had I think kind of complex needs, and um, and you know she she um, she passed away, and um, the mum had been trying to have a bench put into the local park which is where she went with her daughter a lot in order that she could sit on that they wanted to buy the bench so she could sit on it and think of her daughter and they've got mired in this kind of um this bureaucracy you know 18 month queue and um in any case wasn't sure that this was appropriate and um, so I had this letter. I remember reading it and thinking, this is just ridiculous. So I, I rang Joanne Rooney, who was the chief executive of the council, and said, I've just had this letter. And this is just one of those times where things have got stuck in the system and just unblocked this. And she said, leave it to me. And four days later, she rang back and said, it's sorted. And um, you can have the bench, whatever she wants. She's just got to get in touch with me directly. And it's all been sorted. With it. And so I, so Cole called because um, the, the 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 family and just spoke to um, the mum and said, you know, you won't know me, but I'm the local MP, and your husband wrote to me, and I know you've been having a terrible time, and I'm so sorry about the loss of your daughter, but the bench is all been agreed, and the council's going to provide it, and it's wherever you wanted to go in the park, and um, she was very kind of emotional, but you just thought, you know, in that that just took one phone call for me, and that's not something that you would ever. Herald, and well, you know, I would never mention their names, but you know that for the whole of, um, you know, for years to come, you've changed something which will make a massive difference to them. I had a similar thing in Morley with two children who were in foster care, um, but they were from from North Yorkshire. Actually, they were yeah, they were from North Yorkshire, but they were living over on the east. Their family from the east coast, and. Um, for, they'd been turned down for foster care. The foster carers wanted to adopt them um, and they'd been separated from their families and there was a, the bureaucracy again got in the way and the procedures and was it too far away from the original family home? And so again, I rang the director of children's services in North Yorkshire and said, I've got this case. And because I'd been the children's secretary, he took my call and I said, I just think you need to look at this one because I'm just really worried that you're just not making the right decision here. And I'm, you know, it's not for me to tell him what to do. And then um, a month later, this big envelope arrived in my office and it was a whole load of pictures and letters from these two 11, 12 year old girls saying that, you know, 
you've um, you've transformed our lives and we can stay this is now our home and these are now going to be our proper mum and dad and you know those are the things which don't get seen you know i could tell you 100 things which didn't work yeah. but the ones which do work are the ones where you think i'm actually managed to do something which nobody else could do nobody else could unblock the system in this way nobody could reach across geographic areas across different public services could make the call which which makes the difference and um so uh, I had a similar thing in Morley where the breast screening clinic, which was in the leisure centre, was being um, being relocated to Middleton because they were re- rebuilding the leisure centre. And therefore, this was going to be a bus ride. And it was absolutely clear that there would be women who would not go to the breast screening clinic because of the bus ride, because it was too complicated and took too long. And so, and you just think about this, this is ridiculous. And so I just went to Asda in Morley and said, you've got this big car park. Can't we put the breast screening clinic in your car park? And they said, well, it's really un- unorthodox, but actually why not? They ended up sort of plumbing in all of the um, electricity and water and stuff, which they paid for. And the breast clin- clinic screening clinic carried on in Morley Court car park. And you know that people would have um, not lost their lives from breast cancer because we made that change. And those are the things which I actually remember much more than the, the, the kind of House of Commons arguments or the protests outside my office or any of those kind of things. Those are the things you remember. It's, it's really interesting that it's that, and not just the stuff in the House of Commons, but the role as a, the jobs as a constituency MP rather than anything ministerial or shadow ministerial that, that resonates more. And, you know, M- this is the stuff that MPs are dealing with on a daily, hourly basis. Do you think maybe, I don't know, the fact that MPs are doing these sorts of jobs, do you think the fact that they're maybe not publicised or maybe people aren't as aware of them is part of the reason why MPs maybe get a bit of a bad rep, bad, bad reputation? Well, so, I mean, I think I think partly MPs get a bad reputation because when one MP does something kind of stupid, it affects the whole group of MPs. Mm. Um, and they partly get a bad reputation because we live in a society where we um where we we're always a bit cautious about people who get above themselves and you know we know that um it's really important in a democracy to have people who put themselves forward and get elected but but we never you know we never let people get too 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 ahead of themselves i mean it's no surprise to me that you know that donald trump becomes a big hero in America, but Nigel Farage never actually managed to win an election because although he said things which connected with some people across the country, it was never enough for him to win any um, parliamentary election. So there was, there was, a, there, there was a good scepticism about people who try and have authority and throw their, um, their, their, their weight around. Um, but I also think that you are right that... Um, that you know, if 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 the local leisure centre closes, what was the MP doing? Is a completely legitimate question. You know, um, our school roof is leaking. What have they been doing? Mm. So when things go wrong, it's very easy to say, well, what what's happened? What is the council? Where's the MP been? But often the things, not always, but often the things that you do, even if you know, in the case of my breast clinic um, change, I mean, we we did a picture in the town centre most people would have no idea it was my intervention and much of the things that you do you know I spent on a couple of different cases where um, 
where um, families had kind of bad, you know, a big thing go wrong in Pinderfields with a small child or in um, LGI. And you spend hours and hours and you know, over, over years, actually, with the family trying to find a way in which the system can acknowledge what's happened and kind of, kind of show they've learned and not just um, apologise, but to say it will be different in the future. And you're doing that because it's really important for that family, but also mm. it's really important for other families who might be in the same situation. But that is just not something that you're ever going to talk about and trumpet loudly. I mean, the, the the families would be appalled if they thought that I was trying to make some kind of kind of public statement about it. They just want it done privately. Um, and that's what you do because that's your job. And so therefore, lots of those things just don't ever get seen. Mm. It's really interesting as well, I think, looking at your role since, since you've um, left Parliament, obviously, um, you know you're, you're quite a political family. Your your wife is in politics as well. Do you have you found that you've had a bit of a shift into? I really don't want to use the word political spouse because I really I really don't don't like the the phrase. But how have you found yourself involved in that sort of side of things despite you not being in despite you not being in an official parliamentarian role anymore? Do you feel a little bit more detached, or do you still feel like you're very much at the coalface? Well, I think, um, I mean, don't forget, I mean, I had years of training precisely in that role and in mm. a very different time when I was not a sort of um, you know, publicly known at all. So, you know, Yvette was the MP from 97 through to 2005 before I got elected. And in, in the early period, you know, we I remember going around Prince of Wales Working Men's Club in um Pontefract and in the election campaign in 1997 and the um the the Lord Mayor of Wakefield was a Pontefract councillor and um we all went to the club me and um Yvette and him and his wife and um he then said I'll take you around and introduce you to some people Yvette so he Yvette the candidate and the mayor went off to tour around the club and me and his wife we had a very nice conversation she you know I mean she had her hair done every Thursday because it was really important, because if you're Lady Mayoress, you know, you, you, there's so many public events. And, and I was, you know, saying, well, you know, I know, I know. I know. And so I've, um, you know, I've, we, we, Yvette was the speaker once at the, actually, there's also Pont- Pontefract Darts Club, annual prize giving. And we went around the tables and the guy, the president, insisted on taking the tourists around. And he kept introducing, uh, this is our local MP, Yvette Cooper, and, um, her partner, and he returned to me, and he could never remember my name. He said his partner, um, and um, and we got to the end of about eight different tables, and he turned to me and said, "He said, I'm terribly sorry, I can't remember your name, but don't worry, there's a float for you behind the bar." And they'd put they'd put a little pile of money behind the bar to buy drinks for the spouse. So um, so I've had I've had quite a lot of experience of being the um, one of the things when I did lots and lots and lots of fundraising um, dinners over the years, especially when I was Shadow Chancellor. And I would always make a point because you thank, you know, the constituency who've come and the chair of the constituency and the candidate. And I would always make a particular point of mentioning the um, the wife or husband partner of the the MP because you know they do they do so much work. When Bill O'Brien stood down as the member of parliament for Normanton, in um, we had the final meeting of the 
the, the GC of the constituency in 2004. And I'd by that point been adopted as the candidate. So I come along and they do all this ceremony for Bill and give him something. And they asked me to say a few words. And I just said, you know, wanted to thank Bill for huge number, years of public service, but also his wife, Jean, for everything that she had done for the constituency as well. And she came up to me afterwards and said, that is the first time in you know, whatever it was, decades of me going to these meetings, it's the first time anybody ever mentioned my name. Because this is a job that really, well, politics in general, whether you're an MP, whether you're whether you work in Parliament, wherever you may be, it, it's a job that can consume people's in, entire lives and, and livelihoods, and especially with the aspect of, you know, travelling and having separate lives almost between Yorkshire and London every week. Sure. I think that's true, but it, and it's become more so, actually. I think it's changed for us in the sense that as our children got old, older, they became more independent. So, um, but when they were young, as I sort of write about in the the the, the um, appetite book, um, which is kind of about lots of things other than recipes and food, when you when you read it, that um, you know from the very beginning of of all of their lives, they all got the train um, every every week to and from um, our, our home in Castleford. Back then, Castleford was absolutely um, all of our, our our homes because um, that's where they were all born. And we were in London only for a few days a week. And, um, and so, you know, our oldest daughter's first word was um, Grantham because she used to look out the windows and see the train, train signs. Um, we think it was Grantham because it sounded like grandma. <laughs> and um and so and and the routine of our lives absolutely revolved around the, these journeys and being in two places and having mm-hmm. two of everything um we had a um a brilliant child carer called Pavla who would um pick up the kids from school on a friday they had to be in school in london because that's where we were during the week yeah. and they would get the train up to wakefield and um and me or Yvette, at the end of our doing our constituency surgeries, would then drive over to Wakefield and collect them from the station. Um, and then we would drive home. Pavla would get back on the train. Um, she was um, a strong woman. And on the train on the way down, she would change her clothes. And then she worked every night, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, as a bouncer oh, in what? London nightclubs. Um, she'd put on a headset and her black clothes. And then sleep in Monday morning, ready to start the day, the week with us. And all, but that all was because everything had to revolve around, around you know, these jobs we were doing, and before that, Yvette was doing. And um, and the, I think one of the advantages we had because we were both doing similar things is that we were we were together able to be quite protecting of time for the family, mm. and we made very sort of you know very strong decisions about not having the children in photos and um, that uh, there was no there's no pictures of us, our children in the public domain with us never used in any any political setting at all because that was kind of would have been wrong so we we had kind of clear lines the children had to be their own people they weren't the children of politicians you know our mm. daughter said to us how important this was to her because she said when she walks across the playground she wants to be seen as her first rather than you know, the daughter of cabinet ministers. And that was kind of like, a, had a big impression on both of us. But despite that, um, 
as I was, the thing I was saying was that we were also quite um, because we understood this world. You know, if if one of us was going off to do something on a Saturday or something you didn't need to do, you know, then we then we were quite good at being tough with each other. There's times in politics when there's just an emergency and everything has to be focused on that. And, and that was always totally understood. So, um, but, but if, but if it wasn't essential, then we were very good at f- keeping each other on the kind of the family um, course. And I think that, that w- we, we still do do that. The thing which has changed is that the issues around um, security have become much, much more public and acute. So I think nowadays, you know, we are, if um, if we're in Yorkshire or London and a vet is out in the constituency, we're all aware of that in a different way from how we would have been 10 years ago. Mm. Is that something that has, um, is that something that has quite a, quite a heavy impact on you? I mean, it, it's been, it, it, it's been under heavy public focus for the last five years since Joe Cox but obviously over the last few weeks it's been brought into quite harsher focus again with with Sir David Amos do you is it something that you worry about on on a daily basis yes and it's changed because you know we from from when the children were really young we were always used to there being you know cameras outside the door when something had happened or something had gone wrong we were we were used to sort of lots of procedures to get the children out to school without them being on film um we were always kind of aware when you were on the train or when you were um in any public setting that, that people might be photographing um and of course as social media became more prevalent that became just much much more you know it, it's every time you, you go on the tube you're waiting to see the person who's taking the picture Mm. Um, but the thing which changed was that move from being kind of people looking at you and taking photographs or the media to kind of worrying that there might be people who had, you know, more um, nasty intentions. And so I think we've become more spatially aware of what's going on around us, especially when we're with a vet. And then, of course, in the house, there's a lot, there's a lot more security mm. um, and kind of bags on the letterboxes and all those kind of things. But I think um, the only way to deal with it is to to not allow it to change anything you do. And so, you know, in, in the in the hour um, when the news broke about David Amos, a vet at the time was kind of walking in Casford Town Centre, mm. and and I spoke to her, I rang her, and she said, "I just don't think." I don't want to run back to the office. You know, this is what I do. And they're not going to stop me from being in my constituency. And, you know, there was then lots of discussions which happened, you know, across the country about whether there were things which should be done to make sure that that was safer. But fundamentally, you can't stop doing your job as a member of parliament. You can't be protected. And, um, And we don't live our lives like that at all. But I think when the David Amos thing kind of happened, um, I know for for all of us, and especially for our kids, it sort of takes them back to um, the kind of the, the death of Joe Cox mm. when they were younger, and that was very traumatic. So you know, I think under the surface, if you if you look at um, the, the the tweets that my daughter put out when um, the the clash happened 
um, with um, Boris Johnson um, and um, what's the name of the Jewsbury MP at the time? Um, I remember in a second. The the tweets my daughter put out were um, were, were quite raw, and I think that mm. that rawness is there. Yeah, yeah. It I think it affects a lot more people than a lot of people realise. And like you said, it comes all the way down to if it's not, uh, you know, people such as yourselves with with their kids worrying, then, you know, I've heard from younger MPs similarly that they had their mums on the phone exactly. straight straight away. And it it just completely, completely The thing is, it's, it's happened so many times. You remember when the, um, when the, the terrorist, the, 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 the terrible killing of, is it PC Bridgewater in the, um, in the, um, New Palace Yard, when um, uh, the, the, um, the, the terrorist attack on the oh, police goodness. officer. Yes, and the, uh, Keith Palmer. Keith Palmer, Keith sorry. Palmer. And, yeah. the, um, and the House of Commons went into lockdown. Mm. And so the, these phone calls just kind of happen within our family between, you know, we couldn't get hold of a vet and me and the kids, this is what we think is happening, it's, it's fine. And it's, it's happened lots of times and everybody's used to being calm and... Um, we're not the kind of people who kind of fear the worst and uh, and we don't want to change how we do things, but there's no doubt under the surface it definitely has an impact. Do you think, do you remember things like that happening during during your time in Parliament? I mean, you left in 2015, which, which wasn't that long ago, but this whole idea of, you know, lockdowns and threats and everything like that, it does seem to be quite fairly recent. After after um, nine eleven, and then after the the July um, two thousand and five bombings, there was undoubtedly a, like an increase in in insecurity. But um, so you're definitely aware of it. But I think that the sort of the the both lone terrorist attacks and um and also the kind of hate and anger and misogyny you see on social media that feels to me um like you know a newer phenomenon there was there, there was there was definitely sort of hate and anger on twitter in my time but it's mm-hmm. sort of become worse and more personalized and more misogynist and um, so I don't, it's undoubtedly can, feels like it's much worse than when I was there. Hmm. Do you still find Twitter a helpful communication tool? I mean, obviously, you're, you're, pub- you're public. <laughs> it's slightly you're, ironic I, you should ask me that. So... <laughs> of, all, of all the people to ask about <laughs> the helpful communication well, tools. Well, it's, it's just things like... Um, Obviously, your role has changed quite a lot since you've become an MP. You know, you've you've written books, you've been on television programs. You, you're still in the public eye, but maybe in in a slightly different way. Do you still? I'm basically trying to get to the. Sure. You know, how do you feel like you communicate with the public now, and do you find it easier in in your new roles, or do you still find that you're you know getting a bit of flashback from 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 when you were a politician? Because certainly the TV shows and books that you've been involved with have been very successful, and it's almost been not Ed Balls the politician; it's just Ed Ed Ball. 
so well, so 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 first of all, I think um, Twitter is an amazing way to know what is happening right now, mm-hmm. and um, and so if I was um, I, I was presenting Good Morning Britain um, just before you know last month, I would definitely look at Twitter um, as we were going on air. In exactly the same way as when I was going into the world at one studio to do an interview at Millbank 10 years ago, I'd looked at Twitter because I would think that if something is happening, that it will be the fastest way for me to see what is um what is what is what is going on. So as a sort of a source of news, um I definitely use it. And, and then secondly, um you know, I, I did a um a a, a thing yesterday about um, a piano concert I played it on Saturday Sunday mm-hmm. and I had a had a reply from um, Alexandra Harwood who is like a modern TV composer she composed the music for the new labor documentary saying how much that she liked my <laughs> piano playing and you have these these moments where you suddenly are in a connection with a, a somebody or you read something or you see something which is completely outside your your world and so and that that i think is very unusual with um with 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 twitter that's why i like it but the thing you absolutely can't ever do is think of that you are gauging opinion i'm having this conversation with um jonathan agnew the cricket commentator who at the time was kind of um he'd said critical things about kevin peterson the england captain and he said to me i'm getting all this abuse on twitter I said, but if you actually look at all the people who are abusing you on Twitter from the whole of the United Kingdom, they might they might just all fit into the upstairs room of one pub. This is a bunch of people who are shouting like mad at each other and you, and think of them as being that group who've gone to the upstairs room of that pub to shout at each other. And remember that actually across the rest of the country is millions of people who are enjoying your broadcasts. And you know the the the, the, the um the noise of Twitter is not representative. I'll remember the, that. The, the thing I've then started to do, I've done Instagram, which I never ever did when I was an MP, which is kind of quite, I don't really understand it at all. The, the, um, the, the, the difference is that um, when you do politics, even though you're on people's your TVs and mm. you know, in their kind of kitchen at breakfast, I think... Um, People don't engage in the same way. They listen. And sometimes, you know, if something as very big has happened, they might really engage. But I'm not sure they always see it's you. And um and and often there is like a prism of being the politician or the minister, and it's not easy to see through that to the person. Whereas the difference for me now is, which I find hard actually is that when you do a TV programme, I mean, people will come up to me in the street now and talk about travels in Trumpland as if we've known each other all our lives and they watched it yesterday. Mm. And I would probably never have met them before. And it was on um, uh, four years ago. But it doesn't matter because it's very intense and personal and people, and that's a very powerful and nice thing. Um, And then people say, you know, it's really good to see these days you're a human being. You know, I always knew you were a politician. 
but now you've become a human being. Hmm. And that's the thing I find quite hard because I think actually I didn't really change at all. I mean, you change, of course you change some, but the thing is nobody, nobody sees politicians are humans with families and they make mistakes and they do good things. Sometimes they do bad things. They learn, they're trying to do their best. Of course, there'll be some people who are on the make, but that's true in every society. But in general, people don't do these jobs for any other reason. They're not doing it because it's you know the fastest way to earn the biggest amount of money. They do it because they want to make a difference. And mm. and in a way, the the that the dehumanising of politics kind of worries me. And the fact that I see it from the other side doesn't make me worry less. If you know what I mean. The number of times mm. people come up to me and say, "Are you Ed Balls?" and I'll say yes, and I'll say, "I used to really hate you." They say, but I don't wow. anymore. Now I like you. And you saw, and they think it's really nice. They like me now because they liked, you know, who do you think you are? And I'm thinking, I know, but why did you hate me before? And there may be good reason. They may be a conservative. They may hate politicians. But they may have just never, ever seen anything about who people like me were back then mm-hmm. or are now. That's quite That's a brave quite thing to say some to say to somebody in the street. <laughs> no, but they say it in a very smiley way. Yeah, oh, Ed, good to see you. Used to hate you. Now I love you. And you think? I mean, I also get asked for selfies the whole time, normally by middle-aged men in suits. <laughs> and they always a... say it's for my daughter. And you think, yeah, whatever. I don't mind. <laughs> Just get it done. Is, is there anything that has provoked the? Is there any one of your projects that's provoked that reaction more more than others? I think certainly, oh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I remember watching the general election in 2015 and the moment when, um, you know, Morley and Outward went conservative, it was almost the, were you awake for that moment? It was it was the that of that year. I mean, and the, then what's... The, I've, I've got to say, it was 8.15 in the morning. If you'd been up all night, I was a student in 2015 and been up all night watching it. Um, I and but then what seems fairly quickly after that, you were you know dancing Gangnam Style on Strictly Come Dancing, and then you know you you, you've done the food programs and care and travels in Trumpland. Is there any one of these projects that sort of? provoked that switch more than more than any others or has it been a slow gradual process from 2015 to here now the end of 2021 well I mean the truth is it's it's sort of um for me it was quite a long process because you know I didn't do um strictly for for a year and a half after I Mm. came out and the only thing I did in television terms at all was um sport relief bake-off Oh. And I was um, doing, I was doing some stuff at Harvard, and but the reality is, if you, um, it's not easy to transit out of politics anyway, especially if you've been very, very well known. Um, and some people plan it very well, but I didn't do any planning. <laughs> and um, so, so, so actually, it took a long time, a lot of learning, and I thought quite a lot about lots of different things I might do, which actually weren't motivating. Um, the the problem is once you've been a cabinet minister, it's 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 hard to think what would I like to do, which will be as good as that. That that was like mm. a reality, as hard as that and as important as that. And um, and I partly ended up doing, you know, I 
Bake Off was for charity, but strictly because they were sort of so different that they, they, it was something which wouldn't be a half-hearted go at what I used to do. I mean, it was such a change. Mm. And um, and oh, and so and that was you know that's in terms of scale, it's the biggest one of the biggest TV programs in the world. Um, so nothing kind of competes with that in terms of as you were saying weirdness and difference and people seeing you differently but I think um but every time I walked down the stairs at the beginning of the Strictly evening it was always you know former shadow chancellor Ed Balls and there's no there's no there's no you know there's no escape from that it's sort of you know I don't deny that it's sort of I'm not um you know you can't write off the previous 20 years and everybody sees me in the kind of context of having been in politics. And I think probably um, while the, um, you know, I quite enjoy doing things which are kind of unexpected and um, very different, like, you know, the cooking show was, was kind of like a challenge and um, uh, all like the playing the piano, the things which are, make most sense at the moment are the things where where, where there's there's a it, it's different and sometimes has some humor in it but it also you know I can relate things back to the past and it mm. makes sense of so that's why he who used to do that is doing this now so in you know travels in Trumpland or in Euroland that was me somebody who um, had experienced lots of politics going and trying to understand the weirdness of politics in other places in the world and people could come with me and they could see it for themselves and hopefully um and then you know the style was absolutely not for me to tell people what to think but you know i i could ask questions and reflect upon things which people would which related um my past to the, the here and now and similarly the inside the care home crisis films which have just been on i mean they are I mean, they're not opinion driven. They're not panorama. They're not sort mm. of party. They're not really about politics, actually. They're very human. But um, there is something about somebody who has been there and done the ministerial job, then doing the actual real job and talking with families and staff about uh, why ministers and politics haven't yet managed to properly support this important thing social care so it, it makes sense of um it makes sense that it's me doing it given my past and i think those are the things which um you know, i like doing as well the truth so is almost, i quite like doing the fun stuff too so you're, you're yeah you're almost still still involved with that side of things but, but differently doing so, yeah so like same, same with Good Morning Britain. Britain. If I'd done, the, I mean, I, I actually really liked presenting Good Morning Britain. It was sort of much more fun than I thought it was going to be. And um, Susanna Reid is so good. And having this two and a half hours of open talk back in my ear, which I thought would be um, destabilising, actually was really fun knowing what was going on. And I was managed to kind of... But but if I'd gone in there and been the old me in Minister's questions, it wouldn't have worked at all. And actually now... I'm much more interested in trying to ask the question, which I think the viewer really wants to know the answer to. And rather than sounding like, you know, I'm sort of, 
the truth is my instinct is not to be a the sort of you know aggressive rude interviewee uh, interviewer sorry mm. uh, i'm not sure that's what the public always wants either mm. with that in mind what what would you like to do next or from from here on in um the 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 interesting thing about this this freelance world is you never have any idea what's happening next and you know we, we will um i've just had a very busy few weeks because it turned out a whole bunch of things i'd done in the last year and a half all ended up arriving around the same time so who do you think you are which we actually filmed you know just after the first lockdown mm-hmm. and um uh, the new Labour documentaries were all filmed like a long, long time ago, mm. and they all kind of happened at the same time. But um, so th- there's lots of kind of discussions going on about what next now, and and hopefully, you know, I want to go back and see um, what's happening in America. We were supposed to go back and do Return to Trumpland last year, and we couldn't go because of the, couldn't go into America. But what's mm. happened to the Trump voters, and you know what the what the sort of Trump Biden um, dynamic is post the the election? what the Trump voters think about Biden now. I mean, that's really interesting. And then, you know, after social care, I really enjoyed putting the spotlight on something important. So we'll, we'll um, you know, but, but that's all at very early stages. And then mm. I have a project which I'm working on with three um, kind of young faculty students um, of Harvard and King's, which is looking at the the sort of history of regional economic policy making in the last 30 years and interview based plus looking at the evidence so to think about what does um the experience of the last 30 years tell us about um, the, the kind of interventions which work to to increase regional growth and tackle regional inequalities so that mm-hmm. that's sort of going along um and then i'm um co-chair with Lord Eric Pickles of the Holocaust Foundation. Mm-hmm. And we just got planning permission for that in the summer. There's still some legal things to go on, but we should be digging the ground this year. And so the next three years, there's an opportunity to do something which um, hopefully will, will, will engage the whole of the UK. And it will be the most visited Holocaust memorial and sort of learning place in the world. So that's, um, so I've got a few things on. But um, mm. in terms of What's the thing within that? Who knows? Who knows? Whoever knows. That, uh, Whoever knows. That regional inequality study sounds very interesting. I mean, I imagine that's going to be... It's good. It's, it's going to be a little bit of, um, of a political hot potato next year. Well, it's, I mean, it's um, the, the, the government's got a white paper up, coming mm. up, and the government and the opposition will fight it out about um, you know, the right things to do. And um, the thing which we're trying to do is is look at the evidence about what drives regional difference around the world. But then also, we will speak to um, 60 or 70 um, former chancellors, former DTI biz ministers, senior civil servants, people who worked in the RDAs, people who worked in local governments. You know, we, we've talked to people like Tom Reardon or Richard Lees in Manchester, academics as well, and just trying from that to see what lessons do we learn from the past attempts to kind of improve 
sort of regional economic performance and local economic performance. So uh, hopefully it will be a, a resource which will be available for you know, the government or the opposition if they're thinking about what to do next. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Podzone Country. If you have any topics you think we should be covering or any stories you think that we should be digging into, please get in touch with me over email on caitlin.doherty at jpress.co.uk. I'll speak to you next week.